Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that doesn't have hit people. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the entirety of the MCU. And are, are you high on something? Can I have some? No. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Episodes 1 through 10, The Lighthouse Arc. I just want to say that that opening was like half accurate to real life and the half that wasn't accurate I think is you saying no because you love me too much to keep intoxicants away from me. Oh, I would totally share. Yeah. I would totally share. But Colson said no, so yeah, I had I was I was being accurate to the text. Sure. The dad of the show yeah. has to say no. <laughs> right. Well, let me tell you, mm-hmm. this was another tough week for Four Color Facts as <laughs> As I try my best to maintain a personal commitment to not just listing off people who have appeared in the 616. <laughs> That's my favorite part, though. Well, well, then I'm going to throw you a bone because I'm actually okay. a little sad about it because uh-huh. I don't get to talk about Flint, who can yeah. control rocks, which is uh-huh. why Flint is his code name in the 616. But on Agents, it's his actual name. Sure. <laughs> And you know what? Do you know what? Props to these fucking radicals for going as hard on names as they did on props the day they embossed Darkhold across the cover of the Darkhold. But Yo-Yo gave me a hell of a gift when she was legit shocked that S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't have a space division called Spear or something. Well, friends, you'll be shocked to know that the 616 S.H.I.E.L.D. does indeed have a space division, but it's not called Spear because that's a whole other thing. It's called Sword, and it is fantastic. Awesome. The Sentient World Observation and Response Department, oh dear God. aka Sword, was first introduced to the 616 in Astonishing X-Men Volume 3, Number 6, and was created by John Cassidy on art and Joss Whedon on writer, but don't hold Ooh. that against it. It's actually a really good idea. I like Joss Whedon. You know I'm a big Whedon fan. I know, but you haven't read Astonishing X-Men. Uh, And even if you have and you liked it, that might be a thing, but you didn't try and read it month to month. And you can't see, listeners, my air quotes over month to month (laughs) because that motherfucker did not come out every month. And um, on top of that, I really didn't think it was very good. Uh, I'm going to listen. That was supposed to be a throwaway gag, but you've got to (laughs) like... Dial in. <laughs> hey, look, no, you're throwing shade at Whedon. Oh. Like, I I throw plenty of shade at Whedon, but I also have to defend the work. You know what I'm saying? Listen, you have your cross to bear. <laughs> at any rate, Sword first yeah. shows up in mm-hmm. Astonishing X-Men. And to be honest, it makes sense, because how many alien invasions do you have to have before you realize you might need some eyes on the sky? I mean, the 616 Earth has been turned into an intergalactic prison for the worst criminals of three interstellar empires, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Somebody has to keep an eye on that shit. And Uh that somebody is Special Agent Abigail Brand and her crack squad of space agents, S.W.O.R.D. 
I kind of love that. Yeah, you'd think you would, but the thing is, they aren't really very good at their job. Um, or maybe they're about as good at their job as S.H.I.E.L.D. is at its job. It's kind of hard to say. Mm, yeah. Needless to say, Brand's debut in X-Men resulted in a sleeper agent within the X-Mansion, her choice to introduce a cure for the mutant gene, despite it being wildly unethical, because she couldn't think of any other way to avoid an intergalactic war, and ended with her confession that she was intensely attracted to the Beast because her alien father was also a furry blue creature, so gross. Thanks for that one, Joss. Mm. But then their satellite headquarters, the Peak, is destroyed in the secret invasion of Earth by Scrolls. Oh, I like the Scrolls. Yeah, Scrolls are great. They're really bad guys in the Six One Six. Like they're real fucking <laughs> shit heels in the Six One Six. And at one point, they uh -huh. had a secret invasion of Earth that stopped being secret the day that they blew mm -hmm. up the Peak. Like, hey, right. The, the, the bow is off the gift at that point, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Of course, they rebuild the peak, but it's destroyed again by the Brood, a very xenomorph-influenced group of alien bad guys from the X-Books, and mm -hmm. the Symbiotes, the alien brethren of Spider-Man and Venom's living costume. <laughs> you seem confused. Listeners, you can't see Lonnie's face, but I can. <laughs> so I'm going to pause here and say, what Venom's thing Venom's living ya? costume... <laughs> can procreate well yes it can because mm -hmm. it gave birth to a different symbiote that joined with a psychotic lunatic and became carnage but this is okay. not about venom's suit creating an entire planet adam and eve style this uh -huh. is the planet that it came from there's more oh okay like a planet full of them and they teamed up with the brood and attacked Earth, and it was a real shit show. It was a real shit show. And it destroyed the peak for the second time. And I think okay. that is the point at which S.W.O.R.D. is apparently absorbed by the new space-based version of the Canadian super team, Alpha Flight. Because mm -hmm. they're just gone. Like, by the time I was talking about Secret Empire, we were all yeah. Alpha Flight all the time. Okay. But Agent Brand is still a part of the organization, but is no longer in charge because Captain mm -hmm. Marvel is now helming that ship. And considering mm -hmm. that I'm not sure I ever saw Brand make a good command decision, this seems for the best. Mm -hmm. But I have to admit, losing the name Sword cuts deep. All right. Well, I appreciate all of that background there. You're going to dial in on the throwaway Whedon joke, <laughs> but you're going to let me saying that losing the name Sword Cuts Deep. You're just going to let that flow past you. Unbelievable. I didn't even. I'm so sorry because I know you work really, really hard on those. Those little brother jokes. And I'm supposed to be like, God damn it, Joshua. And I just completely missed my cue. And I'm very sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Let's talk about the lighthouse. <laughs> right. Today we're talking about Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Episodes 1 through 10, the lighthouse arc. And I have to say, whenever we get into one of these timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, space-time continuum kind of stories, my brain always breaks. I never understand time shenanigans. So my question here for you, Joshua, is did this jump thing makes sense to you yeah i i think so mm -hmm. i mean i don't i don't really have like notes at the back of the book to compare it to <laughs> well okay, okay but i think so yes i think like, so let me just let me just present this all right so they all go forward in time right, right? and they're they're supposed to save the day and save the world and yada 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 um and i then guess when i they, guess because honestly that I gets guess. a little lost in the middle honestly i think i don't know what the hell's happening here right exactly then, 
Okay, so then at the end of this, um, they go back in time, mm-hmm. right? And I guess because they're still caught in the loop. But when we see that Tess and Flint are still there, kind of putting everything back together, then we know that nothing has changed yet. I think yet is supposed to be the operative word because we so have not So are Tess yet... and Flint going to just disappear if they're able to change and break the loop? Lonnie, I don't have a good answer to this question. And the fact See, that you're asking, asking it, it means... this stuff even makes sense. Yeah, yeah I don't know. the fact that you're asking tells me Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. also doesn't have a good answer to this, or you know it already. So, well, I don't... I'm not... I'm just saying at this point, these are the questions that I have. Like, is it a parallel universe kind of thing? Where, not yet. You know... I think okay. not yet. I think the fact that they haven't stopped Daisy from apparently destroying the Earth... Which, boy, does that sound like a Maltese-level fuckery shenanigans MacGuffin right there. Like, Uh it's totally going to turn out to not be the actual thing. I don't don't know what's going to be the actual thing. I'm just not really buying into it. That face says I might be wrong. I'll live with it when I get there. (laughs) But since they haven't stopped Daisy from destroying Mm -hmm. the Earth, then Flint and Tess are still So we're still in a consistent loop. But I guess this loop thing... Okay. I feel like now, since we've said the word loop a few times, is probably the moment for me to declare my biggest problem with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s approach to visions of the future and time travel, Mm -hmm. which is this extremely pessimistic, hyper-deterministic future has no goddamn place in superhero stories, and I will not have it. The point... (laughs) The point the of seeing... The dystopian future has no point. No, in... the point of a dystopian future is for you to go back and work your ass off to stop that shit, and instead, uh-huh. Fitz is wandering around going, fuck it, it's done, you guys. Why are we even trying? Well, see, trying? that's the thing. Fitz is like, this is just the way... And the thing is, like, the way that Fitz sees things actually kind of makes sense to me. Like, when we had the um, this, the episode where we had Robin's father, all the stuff right. that Daisy had seen, and he explains it, and he's like, you know, we have all these dimensions, and we can only experience this, so we experience time but it is just an illusion whatever happened happened which of course brings us back to lost that's a completely different story but this idea that like whatever happened happened so when we see all of these you know past visions from robin which are actually future visions for us of our team in the middle of this dystopian lighthouse future um you know we see them at the beginning of it you know but but you know fit says Gemma dies right and they they're caught in this loop um, when he goes back into the um, into the ship with Gemma into the Zephyr and this current timeline in the future um, lighthouse timeline he says that's it it's done yeah exactly okay. like he's yeah because he's like it's done that's it because we found this we know that we were here like we know that we're in this loop and we don't change it we don't you know um, and so I don't know like I get so confused by the whole thing that typically when it comes to time stuff like this I just don't think about it. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, whatever you tell me is fine. And I think that a lot of people do that. But um, but I don't know. Like, I thought maybe because of your experience with all this timey-wimey stuff in comic books that it might make more sense to you. No, I mean, it makes, it makes sense. I do feel mm-hmm. like somebody should have sent Endgame a note. Because <laughs> I don't feel like everybody's working from the same time travel playbook, frankly. I don't I don't really really think so I do have to say though at the end when Tess hands Flint the little tiny globe thing and Uh says here's your blueprint I'm 
excited about that story. I want to see them rebuild the earth and this guy with this rock superpower that can put the earth back together again. Like, that would be amazing. It would be interesting. I'm skeptical. <laughs> I'm I'm afraid there's a lot of scientific issues at play that um All right. I'm just uh, Are you are you telling me that everything else in uh, let's see this is episode 67 of Listen Up Hales has been scientifically on point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far? I believe that we have discussed <laughs> comic book super science and how uh-huh. I just need it to make enough sense right. <laughs> this does not pass that sniff test and I, uh-huh. and i can tell you i'm not it's not like i'm a crazy person here because again i'm going to drag my science-minded son in with me who watched most <laughs> of these and we were right. both like as soon as we saw earth all cracked up and then they talked about people living on it i was like no and he goes yeah there's not enough gravity yeah there wouldn't be enough gravity. There's no um, there's no atmosphere. There's nothing like with no gravity. You... There's no atmosphere. And props to my kid. He was like, yeah, there's no core. And that's where <laughs> most of our mass comes from for all of this gravity that's holding us down. And I was like, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. But it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> so we did that for like whatever, six or seven episodes yeah. till the Gravitonium mm-hmm. showed up. And I was like, there we go. There you go. I don't yeah. need it to be like accurate, but you, you made an effort. There has to be an explanation yeah. for the things that don't really make sense. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And Flint can move boulders. But mm-hmm. this seems like a like an order of magnitude, several orders of magnitude smaller than reconstituting an entire planet, <laughs> including a functional molten, I'm trying to remember, molten I, lead and iron, I think. I wish my kid were uh, here. I'd just tag him in. <laughs> it just seems like it's a yeah. little, we haven't really seen enough from Flint for me to go, oh yeah, it'll be fine. He's got this. He's no got problem. it. Tectonic no plates problem. he's literally never heard He'll of. He'll be able to make that atmosphere happen. It'll be livable in just a couple of days. Uh, yeah. So I'm not Run saying. Run out to the Home Depot. It's all good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The Home Depot of Inhuman Powers was last pod, and her name was Ada. Thank you very much. But I do think that largely the time travel stuff makes sense. I am kind Mm -hmm. of interested in that story that you're mentioning, like in the future of them putting the Earth back together, except I'm a little like question mark. And like, I'm not sure what the actual story is. Like, I like those characters enough a little bit to like hang out with them, but I'm not sure. I love the idea of them being able to rebuild enough of the Earth that they can have like, you know, I mean, how they would do it and and like, like, you know, legit, I'm on your side. Like, none of it makes any sense. But I like the idea of it. And I like um, the idea of these people going back to earth you know finding a way back to this like new reconstituted earth and then rebuilding civilization and society like i think that that would be a really interesting story and you know at the end of this whole thing we have that one moment with tess and flint and i'm like oh i want to hang with them i want to see what's going to happen i kind of love this idea two quick items uh one Mm -hmm. is if you really like that go watch the 100 i'm not even going into it because the 100 is bonkers as soon as we were talking about it yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. but also Tess is an actress who appeared on the 100. That's where I knew her oh, from. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what she was on first because I don't know, like, 
Uh, you know, schedules. Yeah. I didn't look it up. Mm-hmm. But so the 100's already on my mind. It's not anybody's fault. I'm just going to say, if you really like that <laughs> idea, the 100 is your bag and it is bonkers mm-hmm. as shit. Like, you All know right. how I have applauded Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for looking at the rest of the MCU and going, yeah. be weirder. The 100, <laughs> the 100 turns and looks back like uh-huh. in time. Yeah. To like like uh, uh, Agents of Shield looks to the rest of the MCU like like across town like come on catch up you know and mm-hmm. the 100 is like we are 100 years in your future catch up <laughs> it's weird okay oh, so I that's the it. first thing the mm-hmm. second thing is that makes me sad about Flint and Tess is we know I know damn good and well whether it's Daisy stopping herself mm-hmm. or somebody stopping Daisy or it all being smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to blow up the earth, which means right. that those people are going to wink out of existence, according <laughs> to certain theories of time travel. Or they're going to exist in a parallel universe. Right. At which point, what the fuck is the point of time travel? You can't fix anything. Shut the fuck well, up, fix. I don't want to hear it. Well, exactly. And it was this whole thing about like, they're going to come back and they're going to save us. But most like, of them uh-uh. were not alive when this whole thing happened. So how are they saving you? They're going to make you not exist. Well, I mean, they're going to save you from a shitty existence by having you wink out of existence. Exactly. <laughs> and saving humanity, I guess it's sacrificing yeah. themselves. Save humanity. Nobody's acting like they, they're sacrificing themselves. They're acting like they're on a deserted island and right. the ship is coming. They're going to bring you the know? ship back. And it's like, no. Exactly. It, That's it's not going how this to be, works. Yeah, it's going to be a tsunami mm-hmm. of butterfly effects that cause you to not exist anymore or it's a parallel universe Mm -hmm. it's parallel timeline which is the 616 approach to these as we discussed during ed game and Mm -hmm. i don't love it i mean Mm -hmm. i get why they do it but at the same time it's like then what the fuck is the point of these time travel stories where people come back and say fix this shit and then disappear before they can tell you exactly what to do so that they're is a parallel universe in which it doesn't happen. I it is a hundred percent to have your publishing cake and eat it too. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know Correct. what? Fair enough. I don't care. I love it, and I want both of these stories. Um, all right. So the thing is, the lighthouse arc. Um, I've seen this as we've discussed. I've watched <laughs> all of Agents of Shield except for this most current season right now that's running right now. I haven't gotten to that one, um, and and I've always enjoyed it, but. Uh, I, I enjoyed the lighthouse arc a lot more this time than I did the first time. And I don't know if it was that my expectations were different. It is such a huge game changer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I didn't know what to expect the first time. I went through it and I was like, okay, guess this is a thing we're doing, you know, and just followed them through it. Also, you know, minor spoilers. I remember really not liking the second half of the season. So we'll see. I might like it a lot more, but it's possible that like in my memory, how much I didn't enjoy the second half of this season might have reflected poorly on the first half, but I actually really liked it. Um, I love the whole game changing thing we've got here that like we are in. This is not, I mean, we start out Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've got like monster of the week kind of scenarios. We're going out, we're chasing, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Now we're, we're in space in a future apocalypse time. Like it's, there's so much wild stuff. And our team is like a heroic team of legends that are brought into this world. it's all pretty crazy. So, um, so I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I love Enoch. Enoch oh, and yeah. Fitz and bad boy time travel shenanigans. I absolutely love that. Um, I think that that's really fun. Let um, me put a pin I, in Enoch. I want to promise you. Yes. Promise is too strong because I am not very far into the next 
pod of story. But (laughs) my gut feeling right now is that you're going to get to hear a great deal about the 616 antecedent to Enoch. Yes. There's not, it's not like a direct straight line, but I'm sitting there Uh going, they're doing a thing on a TV budget. Okay, got it, right? Like, Uh and that's all I want to say, because I'm pretty sure we're going to get to talk about those fellows next episode the sentient chronicom right you know yes. i mean i think that that's really interesting also very reminiscent of the observers from fringe the bald True. men in black suits who just watch you know um so i think that was really fun um i actually enjoyed enoch quite a bit um i love Cassius and sonara like yes. as villains they're fantastic um you know i love his vulnerability with his dad so i usually am not a huge fan of daddy issues i don't mind it in Cassius. i think that that having that vulnerability come from that shame, he is ostracized clearly from his family, from his community. Um, and he is such a weak, like a weak character who wields that much power, I think is so interesting. I think you're right about the difference of daddy issues in an antagonist or a villain versus our heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the cool thing about this is we never don't pretend that this is super toxic masculinity. You know, like on the good guy side, we always expect them to like pull themselves out of it. And then we're like, well, see, that's how you get out of toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. with more toxic masculinity. We just bootstrap (laughs) our way out of what our dads did to us. Right. But with the villain, we don't expect any Uh of that shit. We expect them to just crawl into that pain and fucking live there and fuel his entire life off of it. But I love it. I mean, I love it that we got that that instead of him being just an evil guy who's evil for being evil because evil is fun. Right. He's actually really interesting. And as we get more of his backstory, that he was sent by his father into a situation in war where he was absolutely going to die, like he was sent as a sacrifice. His father did not like him very much. I, I don't think. think. No. I think. Um, no. And Sonara was the one who saved him. And so I love this. He's so incredibly weak and she's so incredibly strong. She's a psychotic fucking badass. And those flying balls that somehow despite being the size of a golf ball like I don't really know how fast they need to travel in order to like pierce somebody when they're that you know they're that big science nerds I want to know how how fast does a golf ball have to be flying to literally go through a human body to pierce a human rather than just like thump and hurt them break a bone sure but like actually pierce them it feels nope. like the scale is off there but i still like her and her psychotic also the fact that here is this guy who has such incredible daddy issues and is so incredibly weak and then this woman is walking around with literal balls in her hands like she is running the show and i kind of love that i loved her um her theme that played every like Cassius may have had a theme i didn't notice it that much but whenever sonara was on screen she had a theme and i loved it yeah i did not notice her theme but mm-hmm. um this was also my first time mm-hmm. through and yeah. boy mm-hmm. is there a lot going on there is a lot think that i would have noticed because mm-hmm. i kind of think that the character art for Cassius mm-hmm. and Sonara is better than literally everything else going on during this pod. It's so great. It's better than anything going on with our main characters. Oh my God. At the end, when he's talking to her, 
You know, I mean, she's just dead on a slab and he is talking to her like he can hear her, like he can communicate with her, like he is falling apart and disintegrating because he's so weak. And as soon as she's gone, there is nothing left to hold him together or keep him alive. And then, of course, he takes the odium so that he can kill Mac, you Uh know, and have this like rage filled moment of I don't know, glory. Um, I love it. (laughs) That's the right way to characterize it. I don't know, glory. Glory, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. It's just, it's so, it's so weird and it's so interesting. And I really, really like them. And it's funny because it's because of this arc. Whenever you talked about the Cree, I was like, oh, the Cree. Like, I yeah. know who the Cree are because the Cree are these people, you know. And I was really interested in, in the Cree and what they were doing. And it's just so evil. When they do the renewal and we've got a life spent, a life earned, um, the idea of people's dead people being vacancies. Also, where are new people coming from? They're like, oh, yeah, they just come up from processing. Exactly how big is this place that not everybody knows each other already? It seems weird that we have these, you know, like uh, nine or six people, however, our crew of grown people who just show up out of nowhere and be like, oh, they're from processing. And people are like, oh, I don't know who you are. You do feel like that would be something of an attention getter. Yeah. I feel like they would all know each other. I feel like new adults in the in the room would would throw things off a little bit. But you know what? Whatever. It's it's fine. Like, I don't care. I have watched two episodes past The Lighthouse and they are in a tiny town where they are instantly singled out as not from this tiny town. And so yeah. I tend to agree with you about the lighthouse. Like it's just like I think yeah. we're just going to seamlessly integrate into our this into How this many new society. Actual people are in the lighthouse at this point. I don't yeah. know. I no don't one's know. doing a head count. No one's doing a bed check. Apparently, and they're sleeping on yeah, top of each other like cords of the, wood. The fact that there's people without the metrics. Everybody has to have a metric. It seems like you know. I don't know the whole thing. Like I don't think about it too much because otherwise I'm asking really stupid questions. And who really cares because the story's good, right? No, these are not stupid questions these are not stupid questions but we're gonna talk about them later because okay. this is the good stuff bullet point this is the good stuff no you're right this is my my section about the good stuff all right so here's the thing here's a confession that i have to make i'm not proud of this confession i did not always feel this way i kind of like deke this run around <laughs> uh deke is my new ward i will never okay. shake loose yes. of this horror <laughs> Um, and that's all I'm going to say until we get to the bad stuff bullet points where I'll talk more I'm about I'm enjoying him so much more than I did the first time. My whole experience of this lighthouse arc is completely different. It's so it's so funny. Um, I love that they bring Robin back. I love that we pull that full yep. circle. Yeah, that's um, fun. I love that we, we have her, you know, with Fitz and with Enoch. And then we see her drawing, you know, doing the drawings. And then we have her in the now. Um, we also have like the, the evil, uh, you know, government people who hold fits you know um in prison for a while and then of course the lady at the head of it who shoots her own people in the head like i feel like that's not gonna like we're gonna come back to that you know we're not done with her couple Mm -hmm. of episodes past the lighthouse at this stage but i was unsurprised to discover that we might have a conversation with her again yeah and it gets worse Mm -hmm. so that's exciting that is. It's going to be really interesting. But that, of course, is in the next pod. The Sorry future. for the minor spoilers. We don't go to the future because then we'd be caught in a time loop that we wouldn't understand, let alone how to get out of. I, 
cannot yeah. understand time loops, man. They always break <laughs> my brain every single time. Um, so I love Robin. I love the fact that she is always in every time because she kind of represents that idea that Fitz was talking about in the episode with her father last season, right? Yeah, this yeah. idea that time exists. It just exists and it just is. At, it's always exists. Like whatever happens, happens, you know, and she sees it and she knows it. But she also knowing all that clearly believes that there's that something can be done with the time loop that the time loop can be broken well i hope i mean they kind of paint her as extremely disassociated from her present reality there yeah. towards the end mm-hmm. so i'm like how much are we hanging on this lady who's not sure what year it is like she, but but she knows like she knows everything she knew when they were going to come she everything she told she foretold came to be she's just disoriented because she lives in all time at once right. i mean Which is come on really i get disoriented i missed a couple of hours of sleep last night and i've been disoriented all day i mean i am not judging robin at all for living in all times simultaneously no, yeah. I agree. I was about to say that that would make a hell of a short story, but it actually did make a hell of a short story that was <laughs> turned into a, into a movie. And I'm trying to remember which one it was now. Contact. I think it was Contact uh-huh, that started yeah. out mm-hmm. as a short story that's uh, mm-hmm. is exactly someone who's like living in multiple times and it's very yeah. confusing. So yeah. um, if I'm wrong about it being Contact, I don't care. The short story was better. But do at me so that I'm right <laughs> the next time. It's fine. <laughs> All right. So do you have anything else to add to the good stuff? Was there anything in this in this front, uh, you know, the front pod of the season that you you really enjoyed? Um, I mean, there is a lot of stuff I enjoyed. I really actually enjoyed this pod more than I'm going to sound like I did because Mm -hmm. because right now we are going to talk about the stuff a lot. We can't help it. Mm -hmm. Right. But we're by the nature of the conversation we're going to have, we're going to talk about the stuff that the show does not give a fuck about actually fixing or making right. Like it just, Mm -hmm. they just don't care. And I, and I actually realized this, I don't know, somewhere around the sixth or seventh episode of this, when I started to Mm -hmm. wonder if I had escalation fatigue, because it was like, (laughs) everything's going to be fine. And I literally could not see how it wasn't going to be like, it looked good. Right. Uh And then, but then I was like, what shit is just going to fall out of the sky and ruin in this, you know, yeah. and I was just like, I'm kind of anyway. So I overall really like it. But if you start thinking about the details at all, like it goes fuzzy as shit. So that's yeah. why I'd really prefer to just only talk about Cassius and Sonara, who are great, <laughs> who are great. And and actually, yeah. I, I want to talk more about Cassius and Sonara because I yes, disagree do. with your characterization of them a little bit. Like, okay, Cassius is physically weak okay like mm-hmm. he but he is clearly the mastermind and that's why sonara is following him around because sonara mm-hmm. is like i can kill everybody in the room but i have literally no idea what to do after that <laughs> like no plan beyond that uh-huh mm-hmm. and Cassius is like i got nothing but plans like he yeah. is a really good like mastermind super villain type guy and they even I, they're doing that on purpose with his whole yeah yes i have done the many things like he's all like do they have monocles on hala because if so <laughs> you should be wearing one it's fantastic yeah so i, I don't them. know that i saw him as much of a mastermind so much as that he's just like an evil 
asshole guy and he just has all the power because he has the Kree. The Kree are physically more powerful than the humans. They have control of everything. Like he's just going through the the shithead you know, handbook of here's how to be a dick, right? Um, and and forcing them into, you know, this, these horrible rituals, the renewal, you know, pitting all the humans against each other, all of this stuff, uh, breeding the inhumans, you know, and selling them off That's and everything. That's the trick it's right just, there. None That's of it a mastermind that. plan. He's raising yeah, money. Know. He's mm-hmm. building influence. He is creating mm-hmm. genetic super soldiers, just yeah. like just pumping them out. And his entire conversation, every conversation is about how he's going to get the fuck off that rock. He has Uh plans. And then he changes them when Daisy shows up and then they start to go awry. And he's just like hustling, trying to keep like keep these plates spinning because it's unraveling. Like he didn't have enough of the cards, you know, uh, but but he's like, I got more cards than everybody else. Let's give it a shot. It starts to unravel. And that's when he falls apart because he's actually not that good. He has such an incredible there's such an incredible power differential between the Kree and the humans when he takes over that place. So he has so much more power. So when things are like, you know, when he has that much of a power differential, he can run the show. But the second his brother shows up, you know, but I that's mean, that's the daddy issues. Like, like yeah. his brother is like the physical embodiment and the narrative embodiment of the daddy issues. Like, I'm going right. to show up and not only tell you what a fucking disappointment you are to dad. But why was it his dad. brother and not his dad? Because, okay, this is what I think. This is what I think. Yeah. Uh, because... If his father had come, then it would have looked like Cassius was actually important. <laughs> no, I mean, like, that's... Right, but I mean, for the purposes of the narrative, I understand for fucking with Cassius why his dad didn't come, but for the purposes of the narrative, the conflict that he has is not with his brother, it's with his dad. But his brother gets to represent that and also add, like, an, a little bit... Like, I agree with you, if eh. it was Cassius' show... We should have seen. We should see that. I think right? narratively, it's just more. It's so much more impact if if it's his dad showing up. Yeah, you're you're probably not wrong. I did not because I was like prepared to backfill Cree being shitty. Right. I was just like, oh yeah, he dispatched his uh, greater son to go deal with his lesser son, like right. you know, go deal with the dog in the yard, you know, kind of yeah. thing. And I was here for well, all of he that. Once he killed his brother, I expected his dad to show up then and did not. Like yeah. there was, I don't know. It felt it felt to me like it was it was unfulfilled potential. I at think that that's point. about the moment that the show decided we should care more about their main characters again. I guess so. Because that but was God, towards Kasias. the back end. Like we were on the way yeah. out when he killed his brother. No, we absolutely his, were. His brother. So I think was, oh my God. That's I, what they, I loved all of it. He was awful and wonderful. Yeah. Oh shit, Cassius killed oh. his brother. Would you like to know more? Too bad. Here's our main characters, <laughs> I think is what happened. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty great. I mean, like, you know, I have quibbles with Cassius. I still think Cassius is essentially a weak, like he's a wonderful character. He's a weak, like person, you know, he's a weak entity. Um, And I love the way that he relies on the strength of others. I love that moment, too, where Yo-Yo's like, you're just a little pitiful, weak blue man. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Yo-Yo knows how to hit him where it hurts. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the woman who playfully came up with Turtle Man knows exactly Turtle how to be Man. like, oh, do you still have some, you know, something left that I can emasculate? Let me go ahead and just reach in. God, I love her. I'm not even going to do it at super speed. I'm just going <laughs> to slowly. 
<laughs> gonna reach into your soul and just poke that bruise yeah um all right so for the bad stuff for me i mean i have to say like most of the stuff that i did not like that really really bothered me was the fact that we have absolutely no space to deal with the events of season four like season yeah. four this was a big deal we have to deal with the consequences of the framework um fitz needs to process what he did and we do get a little bit of that but not a whole lot and not enough to where like we're actually dealing with like there's that moment where he has the string that garrots like yeah. the three you know and that's pretty smart you know and there's this moment where Gemma looks at him and she's just like uh so what the hell was that and he's like they have to be afraid to follow us boom and they're gone <laughs> like you know yeah. and so to him it makes perfect sense but to her she's seeing his darkness and I thought that was really really interesting but the rest of it is as though nothing has happened he shows up after you know being in stasis for like 74 years and then prepping I mean, he was in jail for six months right so he's had much more time to process this than Gemma has it has been days for Gemma right you know yeah. whereas for for Fitz I mean he wasn't conscious for the 74 years but for the like you know six seven months he was in jail he had a lot of time to think and like <laughs> you know think about these things he shows up, you know, and I love this whole thing. I love Enoch. I love him yeah. as the as the the rogue bad guy of the universe. When he comes in, everybody's afraid of him. You know, um, I love all of that. I think that that's wonderful. Um, but here he is and he's just like, hey, Gemma, uh, you know, you want to marry me or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like whatever the fuck. I hate that. I hate it so much and then later Gemma sees him they're in the middle of all this stuff they're rescuing Daisy and then she's like oh well no let's get married I asked you first no I asked you are you fucking kidding me you don't know this man he shot Agnes you know and you, you still Gemma need to and you he shot you in the leg all of that was real um, so the idea like I love Fitz and Simmons I want them to work it out but you set up this wonderful beautiful crunchy conflict and this question for Fitz of what kind of man am I and if he doesn't know what kind of man he is he is not going to ask the woman he loves to marry him hi I might be a psychotic please you know tie yourself to this anchor you know by all means like that's just not who Fitz is I don't think that he would do that and I don't think that Gemma would do that a few days after this man shot her in the leg and was going to kill her right um I think that you have to process that it takes some processing we haven't had any time for that at all you know except that we had that one like thing from Daisy at the end where she's like we go through everything together like a family and then Fitz is like oh I guess we're all healed now that's fine and they go and get pie and then yeah. boom here we are no processing it drives me crazy it's a little worse I think than even mm -hmm. you're portraying because they clearly want us to realize that Fitz is drawing upon his darker framework self yeah. in order to come up with these plans and to play the role of this badass and all that stuff and it should be unpleasant like he should yeah. duck away from other people even if they just did this like duck away him in the foreground, everyone in the back, yeah. and him looking like, my God, what have I done? You know, who am I? Just a little bit to show that he's struggling with it um, instead of just hitching it to the plow. 
Yeah, if you see him struggling with that and then like coming back to rescue Gemma, but not able to look her in the eye, not able to talk to her, like all of that kind of stuff. How beautiful would that be? How how wonderful and painful and so hard. You know, it would be really, really great to see them living out this conflict that they don't have time or space to resolve, but they still love each other, but they still have to deal with it. Um, I think all of that would be absolutely wonderful. So like, I love that whole thing. Um, So I don't know, like it's the whole thing. It drives me crazy. But I also I also really kind of like that Gemma, we see a little darkness in Gemma. Like Mm -hmm. and we've been seeing this since season two, since war dropped them in the ocean, you know, and she kind of lost fits for a while. We've seen this darkness in Gemma sort of slowly building, you know, Um, and after all of these experiences, after being shot into an alien planet and, you know, having to to live with Will, the astronaut on a planet with no sun, you know, like all of these things, um, (laughs) everything that she's dealt with, it's been a lot. There's been a lot for her to process. And I think that we need to see like I like the idea of her going dark. Like what I would have loved is, you know, he grots all of these guys and Gemma's like, fuck, yeah, you know, and he's worried about her. Right. The garrote happens and she looks at him and he goes, well, they have to be afraid to follow us. And she goes, of course they do. And goes. Mm -hmm. And then he has to go, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. Meet exactly. In the like where she's getting into the darkness too. Like I would absolutely love to see that, you know, because they've been through so much and it's been so hard and to see them go on a dark I mean, I love a dark arc. You know how I feel mm-hmm. about a dark arc. Mm-hmm. And so having this having Fitz go dark and yet fight it and then Gemma just fucking embrace it and be like you know what if this is what the universe is going to serve it up let me get a fork and a knife and we'll just go to town right um i i like that idea so i'm i'm a little disappointed with this because i feel like we sort of dance with that idea a little bit with Gemma, but we don't really go there um and the other thing that really bothers me from season four is mac and hope and the complete lack of you know, processing for that. He lost his 11 year old daughter. Uh, I don't know, 48, 72 hours ago, something like that. Right. I am a little curious how long they were on the lighthouse. I think we might be able to give them a week or two. Maybe. maybe but but yes, lost his your point stands. <laughs> daughter. And then he has this moment where he's talking with Yo-Yo right after this unbelievably stupid setup with the guy. You don't deserve to have children. You'd be oh fuck off. Like he would know. He doesn't know where Max sore spot is. It's just terrible. But then he says, "I survived the pain of losing my real child, but I can't get over the pain of losing a fake one." Are you fucking kidding me? You had hours with your daughter who actually existed. You had eleven years of experience, and when you remember. Remember experiences. The only thing right now that makes either of us who we are is our remembrance of lived experience, right? And once it's lived, the like the fact that it was a fake experience or it was a framework experience doesn't make it any less real. It was a real experience to Mac, um, and he, I don't think, would be able to make that distinction or even be willing to make that distinction. Hope to him was real. He lost his child. Um, and so his grief is real. Being happy, going out for pie, you know, and no evidence of his grief until here. And we get one scene and then he's like, fine, you know. Yeah. And then when he sees Yo-Yo die, oh my God, 
how fucking dark is that? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, but when he sees Yo-Yo die, the idea of that activating that grief for him so that we have Cassius with his odium rage, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see Mac you know, just like filled on grief rage mm-hmm. and like how powerful that is compared to the odium rage of a Cree. You know, um, if we could have seen that from Mac and really felt that he was putting everything that he had lost into that fight, you know, um, I think I would have felt something like like yeah. we were at least earning it a little bit, but we didn't earn any of that we do a little bit just a little bit with like know. mac and flint I, well no mac and flint is like another but that's a different kid you it's not a cat what i mean is mac being mac and mm-hmm. dealing with the grief of losing a child by going and basically becoming you know scout master to yeah. a bunch of other kids or even just the one kid that's important yeah. for our narrative mm-hmm. if i thought they were doing that on purpose as part right. of the dealing with hope, but I don't because part I just don't believe process. that. I do yeah. not believe mm-hmm. that because if they're no. not going to deal with Fitz and Simmons, they are not going to deal with Mac. So I love the idea of, you know, Mac and Yo-Yo and Flint forming this family unit, you know, if they were actually addressing that grief mm-hmm. with that and that loss with that, you know, um, and if when he had to say goodbye to Flint, we saw that he was processing some of his grief about yeah, hope yeah. through that goodbye with Flint, you know, um, and that Flint would have a chance to say goodbye, which hope didn't hope just disappeared. Yeah. You know, and that we could process some of that. I think that would have been really nice. And it was right there. It was right there for the taking. They could have done it. It you know? does seem like, well, I mean, you know, TV production schedules. Yeah. They they introduced Flint when they needed him. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is the difference between this. Yeah. This is honestly the difference between network television and even prestige television, where mm-hmm. all that stuff is written way ahead of time. They're not like laying track in front of the train. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, I'm on record as loving the random shit that comes out when people just have to hit a damn deadline. I'm here yeah, for that. How right. did I stick with superhero comics this long? That's how. Right. Like, that's it. <laughs> So I'm down for that, but also Uh sometimes with this kind of stuff where it's obvious that either they knew that the trauma needed to be dealt with and just decided not to, and that's everybody's, or it didn't even occur to them, which is not great either, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's these moments when you're like, man, just like, whoop, a little bit of hindsight, a little bit of reflection on Mm -hmm. your story arc, and you would have been able to really tie a lot of this stuff together much tighter in a way that... Not just satisfies story nerds, but like makes mm-hmm. it a better story and makes your characters that you want us to keep caring about actual friggin' humans. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because there is a low key amount of why are they impressed or shocked by anything at this point? Like, not mm-hmm. everything just seems to wash off of them. Right. And it, and it doesn't come across as I'm so cool because I've seen worse. And it doesn't come across mm-hmm. as world weariness. It almost comes across like, well, let's just wipe them clean and start the next story. It, it's etch a sketch character work. Yeah, it's yeah. just, okay, new season, shake it up. We got no nothing left over, no ghost images from last season. We're just going to move on. But we do a, a couple, like, you know, like when, when Gemma's horrified about the garroting and Fitz is like, hey, you got to do what you got to do. We do it like, a little. We, yeah. So there is a little bit. So there is, there feels like there is a consciousness of it, but it's just not anywhere near enough. Well, you'll know, um, all the yeah. trauma that they draw on for Fitz actually makes Fitz a bigger badass, like in oh, the God. moment, yeah. Wh- yeah. which is fine. It, it should. 
It's fine because I love the idea of him drawing mm-hmm. on that darkness that he doesn't yeah. want to in order to make this good shit in front of him happen. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like they get that part, but they don't like sort of go, how would he feel about that? Or how would Gemma right. feel about that? Yeah. So it's just, I mean, I get it. It's network TV. It's seasonal. It's multiple seasonal now with the break yeah. into pods. It's almost yeah. like, you know, three mini, two or three mini seasons. Yeah. So I, I get it, but it's also, it is legitimately frustrating when mm-hmm. you come back and you're both close watching and watching kind of quick, you know, like yeah. relatively mm-hmm. quick, like I am. Yeah. Um, it is. It's just like, it just stands out. And, and, it, this is what I meant by like, I really did enjoy this pod mm-hmm. quite a bit, but yeah. at any moment that I was asked to think about any of it, and I mean, yeah. both by the narrative itself or when I was, you know, preparing mm-hmm. for this podcast, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this doesn't actually it's work very good. well. Yeah, it's, it's not good. It's, it's yeah. like, it's enjoyable. It's fun. It reminded me, and this is a comparison that will come back, but it kind of reminded me in a way of like my reaction to the Guardians of the Galaxies movies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, this is really fun and I'm on this roller coaster. And then the minute that I leave the dark theater, the mm-hmm. light of illumination hits me and I go, wait, why did anybody do anything? You oh, know, yeah. No, none of that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. it's fun. I'm on the roller coaster. So I, right. as, as far as it goes as a roller coaster, I love it. Like, no complaints. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you want me to actually invest... And mm-hmm. I and granted, you and I are sitting here investing way more than right. they asked mm-hmm. the average viewer. Yes, exactly. And it's been a long time since I was an average viewer, but I'm mm-hmm. legitimately now like, doesn't this bother people? Like, I, I drove me crazy when I watched it. Plus, I hate, I fucking hate proposals as like the oh. fast, the happy ending, like fast track. Like anybody who's been married knows that a proposal is not a happy ending. Um, sorry. Well, Just it's joking. a, it's, it's a. <laughs> It's a happy middle. It's a happy middle. It is a happy middle. And I'm At just best, I'm joking. Right. But, At but best, no, but it's I mean, a happy middle. In in stories, we treat a proposal like it is a it is the happy ending from this point forward. There's going to be no problems because they're married. And I'm like, you know what? First of all, it's not 1950. They don't need to get married. Um, you know, and second yeah. of all, like that idea that like, oh, look, they propose to each other. It's like they propose to each other. These people are so fucking damaged that this is not good news. Like. <laughs> Them they do have some married. things to work out first, yes. Exactly. Like, the idea of them getting married right now, like, our, the, te- the textual rubber stamping here, it seems to be, oh, they're getting married, yay, happy ending. Whereas what it really should be is, are you guys fucking kidding me? Like, when they tell everybody else that they're engaged, the first thing everybody else should be saying is like, oh, no, 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 this is not happening. Like, it's such a it's such a bad idea. No, I love Fitz and Simmons. You know that I love Fitz and Simmons. I'm all for them being together forever. But they have to address everything that has happened, and they're not doing that, and that makes me nuts. Premarital counseling for Fitz and Simmons would be like a truckload of Gibbons oh. given methamphetamines. Like it would be yeah. so much stuff would come out that this poor bastard who's just supposed to make sure you guys are more or less ready to get married would just be mm. like. Oh shit! I gotta tag in somebody who's actually good at this. Like, I need a, I need a bigger gun. Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. What they need to do is just separate them. Like, if Take the universe, the universe is gonna separate them at one point. The universe is separating them for a goddamn reason because it saw this shit coming, right? Um, While it's just, you're it's separated, find a therapist. Make good <laughs> use of that time. Find a therapist and get your shit together because, oh man. Um, back to Enoch, though. I love Enoch. 
Um, I love this whole thing with the sentient Chronicom. I love that he is just there to fulfill some kind of time loopy thing. I love that he's so interested in people. But this, I mean, I think that like Enoch is really fun, but it's this moment at the end, this moment of personal sacrifice. I will expire knowing I returned my friends home and then my battery chemistry will consume my body in an exothermic reaction violent enough to decimate several levels of the lighthouse. Now, that in itself is surprising because he's a a chronicom like I, I can understand why he wouldn't necessarily have the the built-in survival kind of instinct that humans have but I'm also I don't know why he would have a sacrifice instinct either and why his friends would be so important to him except that maybe he's been observing for such a long time and maybe he's developed somehow a longing for that yeah. kind of connection that kind of human connection trying to understand it but the thing that that throws me off even more is when Deke is like, so it's not great for the guy standing next to you flipping the switch, which is his job. And then Deke is in and Deke is like, yeah, I'll sacrifice myself as well, which is not something I see Deke doing. Um, So I found it like I really liked it for Enoch. I really felt like it was unmotivated for Deke. Um, Yeah. You know, so I'm and and Deke just and this is the thing like Deke is is complicated for me because I do like him despite the fact that I don't want to like him. What's interesting, though, about him being the new ward, though, is that the actor's name is actually Jeff Ward. Oh, I just for want to God's let you know that. sake, it was um, destiny. <laughs> and if you ever watch any of the behind the scenes stuff with the people on um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., everybody, every other like actor on the show, all they do is give him shit. Like they, if anybody asks him a question, like, well, the worst part was having to work with Jeff Ward. They're just like, they're like all like super mean to him all the time. And behind the scenes, he seems delightful. And I just, I don't know. I don't know if that's what it is. If I watch too much stuff behind the scenes and these actors just charm me to the point where I like them. <laughs> no matter what. Um, That's interesting, actually, Mm -hmm. because I kind of think that they woefully miscast Deke. I think that Mm -hmm. is my biggest problem with Deke, because they want a charming con man who is nevertheless a complete heel underneath Mm -hmm. all that charm. That's what they want, except they didn't cast someone charming enough to pull it off. Like, he just comes off as a half-competent used car salesman to me. (laughs) Like, he's not... I actually like him. um, I don't know. I liked Ward, too. I like Brett Dalton as Ward, so maybe it's just, yeah. They're also doing extremely low-rent Star-Lord things, Except mm-hmm. you can think whatever you want about Chris Pratt and you can think whatever you want about Star-Lord, but Chris Pratt is like 50 gajillion gigawatts more charming than this motherfucker. And <laughs> that's why that shit works. Okay, I'm not going to argue that Jeff Ward is, you know, is in charm competitive with Chris Pratt. But then again, very acting few people Chris in Pratt. the... Acting Chris Pratt. Acting I feel Chris like Pratt. talking yes, exactly. to Chris Pratt would just probably blast that veneer know. of charm off like a fucking supernova. But, I don't know anything about Chris Pratt as a human, oh, but the actor... Keep not doing it. Keep okay, not knowing. You'll keep be better off. Okay. I've, been, I've been trying not to know things as much as possible lately. Um, so It's 2020 survival instinct right there. Good. <laughs> Good call. 
God damn right. Right in um, my back pocket. So I think that, like, I'm not arguing that Jeff Ward has Chris Pratt's, you know, charisma. Um, but there is something. I do like him. I do enjoy him. And I enjoy him a lot more this runaround than I ever did before. And it, now that I'm thinking about it, it may be that I've seen some of those behind the scenes videos. And he's just really <laughs> cute. And all of these people are just so cute. And they're so sweet to each other. And they're so fun. And they act like a big family. And I just like them all so much. Man, let me give and that this caveat again, just in case mm-hmm. any of the people that are on this show stumble on this podcast. I'm sure you're lovely people, and I would love to have beers with you. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. And that's uh, not star fucking. <laughs> I just want them to know that I think they're fine people I'm sure, no, I'm, that are I'm good actors doing charmed. a job. No, I'm excessively charmed by them. This is this is a thing. Like This is unusual for me. I I. <laughs> have liked people who like are actors. I don't usually look at the behind the scenes stuff too much for anybody but there is something special about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actors. I don't know what is going on on that set but these people are adorable together. They are always so sweet and so incredibly charming and I just like every time I've seen any of them behind the scenes I fall in love with them a little in a way that I haven't with any other television show. So there is something I think in there that affects because the first time (laughs) I saw this I wasn't a big fan of Deke. Sure. Now, coming back to it, after having seen some of these, and not a lot. I don't spend all day watching Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'll just like see something on social media and click on it. And people share a lot of this stuff with us. So I it's click true. on it. I'm like, oh, that's cute. you know. Um, and they just charm me to the point where I just love everything they all do. <laughs> that's probably how I am avoiding being quite that charmed by background mm-hmm. stuff. Because mm-hmm. we do get this stuff sent to us all the time. Yeah. And I avoid most of it. Not not because I do not appreciate it, but because I'm trying to do this as relatively unspoiled as I can. <laughs> That's true. And I'm I already spoiled like, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so right, I don't care. Right? Any mm-hmm. of those things yeah. is going to be a landmine that right. I just saw. That's oh, very hey, true. What, this looks cute. Boom. Shit. Now I know I everything that happens everything in season six. <laughs> because I love it so much. And then I end up seeing Jeff Ward and he's so freaking cute. And everybody's so wonderful with how they're hateful and horrible they are to him. Um, it's just so cute. I'm also sure Jeff Ward is a legitimately charming person in real life. Perhaps right. it's direction, writing, I don't know. It's I think it's a little I think it's a little bit in the writing, I gotta say. But but the bottom line is, the bottom line is I am just saying that I cannot account for how charmed I am by Deke. <laughs> I cannot Fair. I cannot rationally account for it or justify it with the text. I'm just gonna let that sit there. Um, I the appreciate other... this honesty. No, because it's, there's uh, a certain enough. point where I start to wonder if I'm the fucking lunatic. No, I'm pretty sure it's me. It's I'm fine. pretty sure it's me. I think that, yeah, fine. I think the bulk of opinion sides with you. I just I love Brett Dalton and I love Jeff Ward and I love Ward and I love Deke and I can't help it. I'm just going to live with it. I'm just going to live with myself. That's all I can do. Um, so the other thing I noticed in this run is that we have May. I don't know if you noticed how warm May got suddenly this something about the framework and being Hydra. I don't know what it is. She is hugging everyone. Whenever anybody shows up, like Yo-Yo shows up, she hugs her. Daisy showed up, she hugged her. Like there's this whole, and I'm like, what? 
what is happening with me? I mean, I like it. Like, I dig it. But I don't understand why we had all this stuff with, like, Mac and his daughter. And we had Gemma and, and Fitz and this whole thing. And nobody's changed. But then May lives in a world in which she didn't kill the little girl, but ends up becoming, like, a mean head of Hydra, killing people, nasty person. Lonnie, and now no, all she of a just sudden, became she's a the hugger. same person. She just became the same person working for Hydra. And that was her wake up call. <laughs> Maybe. She's the same person. She's just working for Hydra instead of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, she's uh, the same uh, person. She's very huggy now. And that's she's very my backfill. That's my backfill yeah. is that she came out of that going, okay, so I grew up and I joined S.H.I.E.L.D. and I became this. And then I grew up and became and joined Hydra and I became the exact same thing. <laughs> I need to make some fucking so life changes. in the 30 seconds between when I got out of the framework and we went for pie, I have completely changed my personality. Everybody else processed their <laughs> shit over pie. I don't know why May can't. Some also, magic listeners, fucking pie. Mm-hmm. Listeners, this is for you. That was a setup from Lonnie. She knows damn good and well I noticed because she got texts to this effect while I was watching it like goddamn me smiling at everybody like it's in like the second episode of the thing I was like she's just smiling what the hell is this and then later I believe there were all caps texts like she's hugging everyone she's hugging people I know but I think it's good I think it's good I honestly Mm -hmm. think that we've probably ridden that taciturn badass horse just about as far as we possibly can I I guess so I really do I'd like to see it textually motivated rather than just suddenly we see this change in May, but I'm actually really enjoying it, and I love May. Is May's my backfill not doing the job for you? Because seriously, that no, feels like a wake-up call. No, because none of that is call. in the text. Like, I don't think that we have that in the text from her. The only thing we have in the text from her is that she and Phil are kind of going to get it on. Gross. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm just saying. I know, but I'm Mom not. Mom and Dad are rocking the van here pretty soon. Anyway. Gross. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, so now we have these prophecies, right? Uh-huh. Prophecies always drive me crazy. Uh, the prophecy is a light came from the sky. There was an alien attack, and in trying to stop them, and protect the world, Daisy causes the Earth to shatter. Like this is the whole story, and I'm like, okay. So there was a light in the sky, and the aliens came to the world. Oh, but it's Daisy's fault that everything blew apart because we have video of her yelling behind her at the Zephyr as she leaves. So that is our evidence that she destroyed the universe and it wasn't the, you know, aliens that came from the sky. Lonnie, you may have missed the part earlier in the show where I said, I don't fucking buy it. (laughs) No, this drove me crazy. And the whole, I was like, there is absolutely no evidence for that. Yeah, I don't Uh, buy it. The destroyer of worlds thing. Like, I understand if that's like the Cree line. So the Cree were the ones telling this story about Daisy because they were the ones that destroyed the earth and they wanted, you know, to to make, I I guess, uh, the earthlings blame one of their own or whatever. But the thing is, is that Deke has the video. He had seen it before when he saw it. He's like, oh, I know who you are. You're, you know, destroyer of worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This whole thing makes me crazy. It's a dumb, stupid thing. There's absolutely no evidence that it was Daisy. Um... And she well, should know that too. Like there at the is end some when circumstantial she's like, evidence. Uh, that circumstantial somebody with, with quake powers got mad and left a yeah. And the world blew apart. Her power is to blow the small scale. 
bits of earth she apart. cannot blow the earth apart she's a tiny tiny person you know you here we are questioning to put the it flinch. back together no, i will absolutely <laughs> i will be all about flint putting it back together but i do not believe that daisy could quake it apart it's easier to break shit than put it back together that's true <laughs> okay maybe put maybe. your egg back together tomorrow morning over breakfast see how that goes for you <laughs> and you'd be like right, holy I'm- shit i'm quake destroyer of eggs <laughs> I cannot be Flint, put her back together of eggs. Uh, well, now I need to have a t-shirt. Well, a Flint's superpower was the ability to restore an egg to its original form. Then I would believe that. I would yeah. believe that he could do that. That would be it's fine. Fun. What a crazy, what a crazy uh, power. That Wouldn't you be pissed if you came out of the inhuman husk and you were like, oh, here's my power. Did you, did you crack an egg when you didn't mean to? Because I could just put that back together. I can put that you. back together. It's no problem. <laughs> I have been reading X-Men comics for a long time money and there are more useless powers than that <laughs> i just i find that very very interesting um all right so speaking of deke and speaking of daisy i don't know if you picked up on this <laughs> yes i did pick up on the fact that we've introduced yet another useless man that is apparently going to be Daisy's love interest. I swear to God, if they introduced an actually good male character and made it look like he and Daisy were going to get together, I would not believe it. I would be like, it can't be that you're going to hook her up with this actual good person. We had some flirting with Ghost Rider and Daisy, Robbie Reyes, toward the end of season four. Now, I'm not saying that Robbie Reyes is our like most developed character, but out of all of the men that we have matched Daisy with, I mean, he's the clear favorite, right? He's he's, he's the just he's the just from Gilmore Girls, right? He's just stepping over an extremely low bar. Look, I like Robbie. Are you talking about Robbie? Yeah, like look I at like that guy. Robbie. Yeah, look at that guy smoking hot masculine charisma look at that guy (laughs) i don't think we know a whole lot about him i don't feel like we got enough character work from him so i'm not really sure but i mean like out of all of the guys that we've had daisy flirt with he's clearly the best yeah yeah a hundred percent and i don't expect her to marry that guy but i expect her to make out with that guy well yeah and i think that robbie reyes would be a good you know a good time is all i'm saying i just it'd be really hot He's in all ways, in all ways. We have some Deacon Daisy and we have yet another unworthy man, you know, Um, but I think that we see him doing the sacrifice at the end of this pod and we think, you know, there's hope for him. But of course, he's supposed to be atomized and and no longer Mm -hmm. in existence. So, So, you know, we have this guy clearly unworthy supposedly atomized right um and it just seems like at the end when he makes that sacrifice that maybe maybe he can gain some worthiness from that were he to somehow magically not be atomized in that process um you know we'll have to see not holding my breath (laughs) not holding Um, my breath for him becoming more worthy i'm not uh, mm -mm. yeah i yeah I don't, I don't know. We'll see. We, we got another pod to get through. At got the end hold. of that, we will have this discussion because sure. I am I am very unsure now because I don't remember liking this part as much as I do. And I have a feeling it's because of the dark shadow by the second half <laughs> run by the second half of the season. So mostly like I really like this pod. I enjoyed it a lot more than I did previously. Um, it's super fucking dark though especially when we get to yo-yo's future and her man loop yes. with herself 
That's oh, bonkers. Yeah. My God. I mean, beautifully done. And like, I love Yo-Yo. Like, Yo-Yo is amazing. Natalia Cordova Buckley is amazing in this role. I mean, I think she does just this incredible job. And her death is so fucking brutal. We see her without the arms. Yes. Like yeah. she's been killed and brought back and killed and brought back and killed and brought back. You know, over the last like 74 years to the point where she hasn't aged. I mean, not a lot. Yeah. Oh my god. No, that's it's it's so incredibly dark and when, you know, present day Yo-Yo sees her future self. Mhm. I mean, what a thing to have to live with. And then, you know, and then of course when Cassius slices her throat in front of Mac, that is such an unbelievable, like dark, horrible moment. And that's when I wanted so much more from Mac. I wanted that to trigger that grief for him. Yeah. So that we compare Cassius's odium with his like actual real grief and rage. Um, It's just like, I mean, we get a certain extent of it, but it's just like everything feels like it's not enough. Textually, it's not enough to acknowledge everything that's going on. what Yo-Yo has gone through at this point, what Yo-Yo sees is her future. If they don't break yeah. that loop, then she knows that that's what she's going to live through. Um, God, it's awful. I mean, it's it's beautifully done. So awful. Yeah, it's dark as hell. I mean, I really want to see how they course correct. I don't want to say course correct because this mm-hmm. is a choice. This is a this is not a bad choice, but how they pull the show back towards some lighter stuff. And I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think they need to go like big, goofy bells and whistles light. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this is not the show that we have signed up for long term. And I don't think they mean to change it, like change the whole tone of the thing. But if they don't pull out of this, that's what has happened. So guys, please. I like it. I like the darkness. I think that there's a really, there's some interesting things to be done with the darkness that they've been playing with, I think. I agree with that. I agree with Mm -hmm. that. I just mean like tonally for the whole show. Oh yeah, we've shifted so much. Super dark. Yeah. 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 The show does seem to reinvent itself. You know, every season or even Uh, sometimes every pod. And -hmm. I find that really interesting. Like, I like that we get this huge game changer, that we're in this entirely different environment. I think that that is so cool and it's so interesting. I like the way that they do that. But it does sometimes feel a little hard to to hold all of it in continuity, you know, in your head. Because if you think about what season two was versus what we're dealing with now, it does not feel like the same show. All right. So, Joshua, what's your favorite part? Okay, this is actually kind of hard because yeah. I do feel like this pod is like the idea of a Phil Spector mm-hmm. song, like yeah. produced by someone who's heard of Phil Spector, but uh-huh. thinks wall of sound just means push all the dials up, you know, like just, <laughs> this is how you do it, right? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That said, like, this is really hard to, to pull out, but I think mm-hmm. my favorite part is basically Fitz, like his whole yeah. run through here. We've mentioned they don't go as hard on it as they ought to. They don't do enough Mm -hmm. with those framework issues. But when they do do something with it, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And also, he and Enoch are a delight. Like, they're bad boy shenanigans, right? Bad boy shenanigans. I love that. I love when Lance shows up, too. We didn't talk about Lance coming back, but that's That's, really We didn't talk about Lance coming back because he didn't bring Bobby, so we don't care. But... um, The royal we, I'm just saying. Yes. But yeah, but that's right. We decided we weren't going to gender flop that. So they had bad girl shenanigans, but they're boys. So yes. I mm-hmm. like that. And getting to the future the slow way 
And yes. then convincingly pretending to be like a super badass is all dope I as fuck. Know, so I love it. I really like all of Fitz's shit. Uh, yes. A lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. So Lonnie, tell me about your favorite part. You know, it's it's really fun. I think it's, I'm not sure why. It's that moment when Tess hands the globe to Flint and says, you know, here's your blueprint. And they just smile at each other. And there's something about that. I think it's that note. I think it's ending on that note of hope. Yes. Um, I think it's the idea of building something and starting something new. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Tess. My heart breaks for what she went through. My heart breaks for what Flint went through. And the idea of them being able to build family. They have a very nice kind of brother-sister energy that I enjoy between the two of them um, which I think is really good Um, and it's just it's a nice kind of like you look at these people and what they've been through and they lived through this dystopia and the idea of rebuilding the earth if anything is overwhelming I've got to paint a room on Saturday and I'm like God so (laughs) much work it's a big job so much work but I I mean I love that moment and I kind of want that story Um, so it's a nice ending it's hopeful after all that dark after everything that they've been through. Um, and I, I just really, like, I enjoy it a great deal. So, yeah, I'm surprised because my favorite part is actually with these side characters that we may never see again. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, to mm-hmm. kind of, like, stretch my Phil Spector metaphor to yeah. the absolute limit, this is like the person who comes in and goes, ding, at the end of it. And you're like, <laughs> shit, that's the best part. It's the best part of the song. Just, it's it is. Great. It's good. I like that note of hope. It's really nice. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up, A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our August producers. Abigail, April, Alice, Erica, Rose, Jonathan, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelley. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. You're not here to save me. You're here to save humanity. To find out how you, too, can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or sure, invent time travel. Just give it a minute. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up, A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Episodes 11 through 22, Home Again. Until then, you're no god, no devil. You're just a cruel, sad, little blue man. So why don't we skip to the part where I end this? Um, so I'm here doing we have... puns tonight, Lonnie. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the little brother, big sister shtick that we have going on, is that you pull this stuff out and I just pretend it's not even there. and That makes you crazy. <laughs> oh, no. I enjoy it when I have to point out my own jokes. <laughs> Especially when I can spin it just enough to make it look like you didn't even get the joke. No, I got winning. that one. The right, one from right. before I didn't, but that one I, I completely knew what but you were doing. I just decided not to acknowledge. Like, exactly. Well, <laughs> I guess I guess I'll explain my complex pun to you. I love the little brother energy. I find it adorable. Um, I'm, now, right, so. I'm now really upset that I didn't say it would be caliente, but anyway. <laughs> oh, man.
<laughs> All right. There's so going to anyway, be some good fucking outtakes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right.